Could you open up to Matthew chapter 5? As we continue on the sermon. I think it's good to read through it every time, just to kind of keep it fresh in your mind. It begins in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. Verse 2, And He opened His mouth and He taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And let's stop there, and I want to say before we go any further, warning, warning, danger, danger, Will Robinson. If you ever watch Lost in Space, you know what I'm talking about. Let us not proceed, and let us stop for a second. Because if we proceed to verse 8 and read it in the way people normally read it, it will be completely the opposite of what God wants us to do. If we misread this, it will be to our detriment. But if we read it correctly, it'll change us. I mean, it will utterly change us. So what verse 8 is going to be all about, before you proceed to try to understand it, just like a good realtor or just like a good businessman, this is about location, location, location. How you read this, the location you apply it, will make all the difference in the world. Because people don't read it the right way. In fact, they don't read most of the Beatitudes in the right way. So when I talk about location, I'm talking about where does this apply? Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 4, when a person is born again, verse 3 says, or chapter 3, they're going to be born again. Then he goes to the woman in a well in chapter 4, and then he talks about if you receive my message, the water that I'm going to give to you will become in him a spring of water welling to eternal life. So where does life begin? On the outside or on the inside? On the inside. So this focused location is about if you want to change, it starts inside. It's just the opposite of most religious people think. Most religious people see things on the outside. But again, let's take a look at Verse 3 through 6, when we talk about the kingdom, it's not the way people see it. It's actually upside down. So it starts in verse 3, so basically saying, blessed are the poor. The poor are really the ones that get the kingdom. The poor are going to be the rich. Then it says, blessed are those who mourn, or the sad are going to be the happy. They're the ones that are going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek. The meek, they are going to become the conquerors. They're going to inherit the earth. World dominators are the meek. It's all upside down. Now, verses 7 through 9 is going to be the kingdom is not just upside down, it's inside out. It works from the inside out. That's why we begin in verse 7. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst on the inside, they'll be filled. We talked about in order to be filled, you first need to be empty. And then you're filled, and then that filling reaches out in mercy. 
Mercy comes from the inside because I've received mercy, I give mercy. And now, now we can read verse 8, since it's about the inside. Read it slowly with me. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure inside, in your heart, for they shall, probably the greatest promise ever given, see God. We'll talk about that first. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be pure in heart, and then we're going to talk about seeing God. Before we get there, I want you to go to Matthew 15, because the religious people don't, they just by nature default to, blessed are just the pure on the outside. And this was the whole problem with the Pharisees. I'd say the Pharisees were Jesus' antagonists. Those who always had questions for Jesus. And in Matthew 15, Jesus is going to talk about what this beatitude is exactly talking about. So Matthew 15, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, so these are the religious gurus, the big dogs of the synagogue, the Pharisees, and the scribes. And they asked Jesus with furrowed brow and crossed arms, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained for me is given to God. It's Corbin. Verse 6. He need not then honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, Jesus says, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, and here's the kicker, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips. You know, they look great on the outside. But their heart is far from me. In vain do, you, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, meaning the outside things aren't what make a person unclean. Then he says, but what comes out of the mouth, because the heart directs the mouth, what comes out of the, how, the mouth makes a person unclean or defiles a person. So if this is... Regarding cleanliness and purity, we can say this. Purity is not about the outside of the cup. That's what verse 2 says. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands. It's all about clean, being clean on the outside. And Jesus said that's not what it's about. And most religious people are like that. We look at people and we say, huh, where's your tie? You don't have a tie on when you come in here. You're not looking good. Why? Women shouldn't be wearing pants. They should be wearing dresses. should only be using a King James. That's what the older churches used to say. Now we just judge people. Oh, look at the look on their face. They're not as joyful. as It's all the outward appearance. And the second thing purity is not, it's not making sure I avoid all the religious no-nos, the traditions of the elders, the rules of the church, the expectations of the godly. Who should we vote for? 
What groups must we avoid? What situations what group must we never be a part of? So purity is not about the outside. Go to Matthew 11. I'm going to show you something very interesting. Matthew 11, 18 and 19. Because we just have a terrible, terrible tendency to only look at purity as how you look on the outside. So Matthew 11, 18 and 19, uh, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and how people viewed him. In verse 18, and John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He's full of the Holy Spirit. But it says, for John came neither eating nor drinking. Here's this guy that put away all worldly, what you could say worldly attire, appearances, and benefits. So all he had is a camel's hair coat, he had a sash around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He never cut his hair. He didn't have wine. He stayed away from the dead bodies. He's as clean and as out unworldly as you could imagine. And what did they say about John? He is a demon. Look at that crazy wild man. He is a demon. Then look at verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so here comes Jesus, exactly the opposite of John. He's hanging out at parties. He's with tax collectors, sinners. He's laughing. He's having a blast. And they still don't like him. What are they judging? Everything to the religious is outward. In the book of Samuel, the writer says, Samuel says, God, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So I just want to lay down, this has nothing, purity has nothing to do with the outside. He's talking about the inside. If we go back to Matthew 5, that's why it said, blessed are the pure in heart. I believe actually if you are pure in heart, it will affect the outside. Don't get me wrong. But I am saying if that's how you determine if somebody's pure, you're wrong. You're wrong. The word purity means two things. It does mean being clean. Clean, without defilement. Pure as the idea of spotless. It's also the idea of set apart for God. You're clean, healthy. You're from Michigan, pure Michigan. I'm, no, that's, that's not what pure means. But pure also means, in the original language, single-hearted. Actually, it just means single. It means of one substance. Let me give you an illustration. This past week, I met with, we have leadership groups that are praying for you, and they're made up of, we have about uh, five of them. How many do we have? Does anybody know we have four? Four of them. So we have a pastor on the team, we got an elder on the team, and then we got three deacons on the team. And we meet together and we pray for you. And Caleb Hoskins is in my team. And we went over to Caleb Hoskins' house this week. And after we prayed for you and prayed for the church, I got up to leave and Caleb said, Hey, I've made some maple syrup. So he had some maple syrup in his fridge and he gave each one of the guys some maple syrup. Got it from the sap from his maple tree, you know, boiled it to get the water out, and he gave us the pure 
maple syrup from natural maple trees. So I tried it. I tried it. And it tastes nothing like Mrs. Butterworth. Nothing. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't taste anything like it. And then I looked in the ingredients in Mrs. Butterworth. Do you know what's in it? Corn syrup. Like 90% corn syrup. I wrote down some other things. I don't know what in the world it is. Cellulose gum. Uh, well, there's some molasses in there. There's caramel color. There's all kind of weird, weird ingredients in there. Mrs. Butterworth is not pure. It's not pure maple syrup. But what Caleb gave me was pure. A pure person on the inside is singularly devoted to God and not divided with all of these other interests and expectations and rulers and law. And we'll talk about that in a second. So what is purity? Purity is about being clean on the inside by having a single-hearted devotion to God. I heard a real good illustration of this, but I'm going I'm to tweak it a little bit in my way. So Lauren Moton the other day, she gave me, her and her husband gave me $40,000. They know I flip houses. And they said, hey, we found a really nice house that's foreclosed, but it needs a lot of work. So I drove up there, said, Lauren, I'll take care of it. This house is a wreck. The outside, you drive up, the asphalt has craters in it because it's been there for years, chipping away. It's no longer black, it's gray. The whole front yard is crabgrass with old arborvitaes. You know those arborvitaes that are over 40 years old and they're 70 feet tall and they cover the whole house. The shingles are crooked and falling off and, you know, flaking paints and the shutters are just ripped off. You go into the backyard and it's heaps of old cement, just garbage piles back in the backyard. Huge backyard. Then you go in the house. You open the door and it creaks open and right when you put your foot in the front door, fleas jump all over your leg. And then you walk all in the house and you turn on the light and it's, you know, the light's off a little wire and you click it on and roaches scatter to the corners. You open up the old refrigerator and inside it's all green, green. And the walls got creeping black mold, and it smells. You turn on the water, and it's like rotten egg smells, and it sludges out, like it clumps out of the sink. So I say, Lauren, no problem. I'll take care of it. Four months later. Four months later, her and her husband drive up. And half a block away, it's already the light of the house is shining. The driveway is brand new asphalt. I mean, it's flat. You can eat a hard-boiled, you know, like a fried egg on it. The shingles are brand new, white, clean, black shutters, new windows. I've got new landscaping with small, you know, Japanese maples in the front and just some nice little bushes. You go in the backyard, new jacuzzi, Lauren. Sand volleyball court. Got some music pumping with, you know, lights that are hooked up, those little, like, Party lights, different colors. and I mean, it's beautiful. Lauren is amazed. She goes, this is better than anything I could ever hope for. She, so I, I take the money and leave, and then she opens the front door, and she sticks her leg in, and fleas jump on her. And there's more roaches in the war before. They start covering her. They get into her pockets, and then she opens up the fridge. It's not just green anymore, but there's actual living beings in there, like 
They're jumping out. She tries to go upstairs and her leg gets caught in the staircase. I can't live in this house, she calls me. I'm not going to live in this house. What are you talking about? It looks so good. I can't live in this house. It's garbage. Why do we think we can let the Holy Spirit live in a house that's full of garbage? Because I look so good on Sunday. Yeah, but what about Tuesday? What about Tuesday afternoon? Yeah, but I tithe. Yeah, you really look good for that hour on Sunday, but why are you so mean the rest of the week? Where's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control? You yell at your kids all day long, and then you grab them by the ear, and then they're really nice on Sunday. Blessed are the pure in heart. In heart. You could say it like this. Those who want to be holy before God will be holy living for God. The word holy is the idea of integrity. Integrity is that idea if I cut myself in half, I'm the same on the inside as I am on the outside. I'm the same person all the way through. Are you? In about four days is one of my favorite holidays of my life. St. Patrick's Day. And here's the reason why. And I'm serious. I'm, here's the reason why. Because I, used, I grew up in a tradition that um, treated St. Patrick's Day nothing like a saint's day. <laughs> uh, I went to a school that, where they would have parties of green beer, kegs of green beer that was flowing like rivers because it's St. Patrick's Day. You know what the word saint means, by the way? Isn't saint like a, somebody separated for God, sanctified for God? But it's St. Patty's Day, and we're going to just tap the green kegs of beer. And I will never forget this one weekend. I was a bartender on campus. St. Patrick's Day was on Saturday, so that meant you start celebrating it Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Saturday. Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I, I was religious, so I would go to church every Sunday. I remember going to church that morning of Sunday of that weekend. Hardly anybody was there, but I showed up. You had to go. Went with some of my friends, and they were barely able to walk. Because, you know, you click your finger, and they go, oh, man, that's killing me. We're sitting in there, and I'll never forget what the priest said. He said, ah, I see that people are still, you know, working off that hangover, so I'll let you go home early. And I can remember walking out of there, and my friends going, man, I like this priest. But you know what? All of a sudden I realized, this is hypocrisy. The place that is supposed to glorify God and noble living is mocking the whole idea of what it means. I can't do this anymore. I'm a fake. I remember that. That was the beginning of my wake-up call to say, are you really the same on the inside as you are in speech? So how do we do this? This is where it's going to get a little dicey, I warn you. I think I made some people mad the first service. But it's okay, Bertha. It's okay. They didn't 
They didn't take the hook and fire me. It might be later this afternoon. So I want you to turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 15. This verse is, um, I love this verse for two reasons. I think this is one of the coolest verses in Scripture. But the reason why is because it is the way you can tell what is on the inside, in a way. It's hard to determine if somebody's really pure on the inside. But what this verse does is it gives you a glimpse into how you can tell, like a, it's like a microscope to tell if you're pure. So here's what it is, Titus 1.15. I got it up there for you, but it's good to read it in your Bible so you can have it for later. To the pure, those who are single-heartedly devoted to God, all things are pure. All things. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Like nothing is pure. Why? Because both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So when it says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, often what does it mean to be in heart? Here, Titus is saying, you know what? Your heart is really your mind and your conscience working together. Actually, your heart is the control center of your soul. It's what sets your thinking and your desires and your wants in place. So this is saying if your heart or your thinking or your conscience is pure, everything to you is going to be pure. But if it's not, everything is defiled. Let me show you. So I will say Jesus is king. So we are talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus has come to set the rule up in the hearts of people that believe in him. That's what it means. The kingdom of God is in you. So when Jesus is your king, and when you're single-hearted to Jesus as king, I allow his word, I allow this, I allow what he says to define what's true for me. Or you could say it like this, he's the one that shows me what reality is. I live in his world. But there's competitors that are competing with his worldview or his reality that want to paint reality different for you. One competitor is self. As Ken said during the service at the beginning, some people are so full of themselves. That's what self is. It's the person that is self-interested. Everything's about me. I want what I want. Do it my way. So self will see reality different often than Jesus does. So you'll see the same situation, but those who are Jesus followers will see it different than selfish person. The world has a grid too. The world's grid wants me to get pleasure and success. Pleasure and success. That's what 1 John 1 says. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. So the world will help me see the, will cause me to see the world different than Jesus. And often the self and the world are linked hand in hand. And then the third one, of course, is the devil. The devil just wants to dominate and rule because I'm the best. I want to raise my throne above God. And I am in charge. So, okay, that's great. So what do we do with this? All right, this is where it gets tight. You're going to the beach with your family. You lay out your blankets. You have your cooler set up. And a beautiful woman in a bikini walks by. How dare you mention that in church? 
It's life. And if you're pure, that won't bother you. If it bothers you, well, why is that bothering you? So what will the person directed by Christ think? You know what Christ says about somebody like that? They are made in the image of God. If they're older than you, treat them as your mother. If they're younger than you, treat them as your sister. But pray for them. Treat them as your mother, your sister. I grew up with four beautiful sisters. I can remember we always went to the beach, and often they were in bikinis and never thought about it. Jesus worked in the red light district of Jerusalem. Often, sometimes, he would talk to prostitutes. How could he do that? Because he's pure. So let's say you're on that same beach and yourself takes over. A guy will say, boy, if I had somebody like that, oh my, I would be a happy man. She'd be the answer to all my dreams. You know what a woman would say if they're selfish? <laughs> Who does she think she is? Wearing something like that. I'd never wear something like that on the beach. And then the world pops in. You know what the world says? Oh, man, you could party with her. Just think of what the guys would think with her around your arm, huh? Be like a beer commercial. Be fantastic. You know what a woman of the world would think? Oh, she's nothing compared to me. You gossip, gossip. Oh, you know what she's probably doing? Look at how she... Did you know that women often judge other women harshly, more harshly than guys judge women? But I'll leave that aside. And then what would Satan say to the man? She's an object for my desires, and I want to use her and then get rid of her. One night, falling. And then in the woman, if Satan's in a woman's mind, oh, what a wretched, rotten, no good woman. How you think determines how the situation is going. Let's go to you. You go to a, you go to meet a Christian brother or sister at a restaurant. They show up. You're having a great time, and they order a beer. What is the person in Christ? How do you view that? The person in Christ will say, "Hey, if they're not drunk, they don't get drunk. They just don't get drunk. I might not have it, but I'm not going to judge them." Do you know what the selfish person would say? Usually a selfish person would say, especially if they're Christian, I would never do that. Do you know what the worldly person would say? Yeah, I'm going to have one, and I'm so cool when I drink. I know all the styles of beer, and I'm one of the coolest because I, I know more about wine and alcohol than anybody else. They almost take pride that they have grace to drink. It's like a cool thing. Look how cool I am. Do you know what the person ruled by the devil says? I can't do anything without alcohol. I can't have a vacation. I can't have a night out without alcohol. I need it. How about words? This one, I think, is the most telling. It's the easiest thing is to speak. It's really easy to speak. But whoever's controlling you will change the way you speak. If Jesus is controlling you, your words are there to edify each other. That's what it says in Ephesians, to build one another up. I would say there's three E's to godly speaking. You encourage one another. So when you're with somebody, how can I make this person's day? You empathize with them. I need to say words that realize that I hurt with them or I rejoice with them. Or you exhort 
people that, are, that need a little bit of instruction. So three E's of godly speech. What does the self say? The self just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and talks, and their opinion's always right. Proverbs 18.2, the fool delights in airing his own opinion. What about the words of the world? Usually they're folly and everything's stupid and everything's a joke and nothing re- matters. Or I boast about the devil. I'm just the best. Oh, you went fishing and caught that? You know what I did? I've been there, done that. And I like to use curse words and rip people to shreds. You're an utter blankety-blank-blank. Demean, humiliate, mock, poison, venom, anger. So what's in the heart, out will come what's true. But to the pure, all things are pure. I like how 2 Corinthians says it. Listen closely to what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So this, again, is about your mind, about your conscience. And we take every thought captive to do what? Obey Christ. Why? Because he's king. He's the Lord. Every thought. The pure person does that. That's what it means to be single-hearted. And then if you are this way and your mind is being set by Christ, you start seeing the world differently. And that's where the second part comes in, verse 8. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for it's the greatest promise ever given. They shall see. see him. They'll see him in the immediate. I believe we're going to see him in the future. And then I want to close with an illustration. What does it mean we're going to see God in the immediate? I call it the Hearst theory. Um, Do you know what a Hearst is? It's a funeral, big funeral wagon where they put the coffin in there and the dead bodies in the coffin. It's usually black and long and sleek. You can remember I was driving, just got done with the funeral and I was talking to my son Joseph about it. He said, I was trying to, what is the name of that car at a funeral? Oh, a hearse. He goes, that's it. I forgot the name of that. Right after we were talking about that, I'm not kidding you, two minutes later, down the road came about seven hearsts. It just drove right by. And then all week long, I'm in the car with Joe. Hey, there's a hearse. Look, Joe, there's a, there's a hearse over there. Is it because I said the word hearse and reality happened, or do I see differently? I don't know. It's up to you. After I got done preaching last week, I talked about a musical last week. Does anybody remember the musical I talked about? My Fair Lady. So actually a couple people texted me over the week, said my wife and I were going to watch My Fair Lady tonight. See how well my preaching works? Fantastic. (laughs) But I, (laughs) did you guys watch it? Can you love it? But what was funny, Teresa, I came into work on Tuesday, and we have staff meeting where we kind of go over the week and pray, and Ken, Rhonda's husband, said, hey, I listened to a podcast last night, and the guy in the podcast was talking all about my fair lady. He must have been listening to you. My question is, did it happen because we said it, or 
is it because you listen different and you see different. I really believe when you are focused on Christ, you start seeing His work everywhere. Everywhere. We have a prayer group that meets on Tuesday night. Last week, we shared about what God did in the past year. You won't believe what God has done. And part of the reason we had these things to share is because we are looking for His work. Because you're thinking about Him all the time. I think He's doing stuff all the time, but we miss Him because we're so focused on self, world, and the devil, we don't hear. But if you are focused on Christ, we will see God. I think this is also a promise that I don't think we can even comprehend. Look at the book of Psalms, chapter 17. Psalm 17 is a psalm of David, and it's about resting in the shadow of God's wings, and then it ends in verse 15. And verse 15 is about what it's going to be like when we wake up in the morning. And morning, usually in the Old Testament, a lot of times is a metaphor for when I wake up in eternity. When I die and I wake up in the morning. Listen to what it says. This is Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, David writes, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied, I will be filled up with your likeness. As if that is, satisfaction is because seeing him is what we've been made for. And we won't believe it when we see it. When I was about 14, 15, 16, I had to babysit my next door neighbor. His name was Scott. He was younger. And every once in a while, his mom would go late to work and would call our house and say, hey, can you just spend the night with Scott, put him in the bed until I get home? Sure, no problem. And the reason why I had to babysit Scott is about a year before, his dad was driving home from work in a blizzard. He hit an ice patch went off the side of the road, his car slammed into a tree, and he died. And he was a young man, and Scott was a seven-year-old boy with no dad. So they just, I just befriended him. But I'll tell you what, there's something about me. I got a really vivid imagination. Kind of talked about it where I was scared about this coronavirus. I imagined all of us would have died. You know, and now we're all still here. In the same way, I imagined after that, every time my dad went out in the car and it was snowing, I imagined him hitting a tree. It terrified me. I don't, I don't know how to tell you. My dad would travel all the time, and I can remember, this is around the Christmas vacation, my dad traveled to the west to have a big business deal, and then he came in, was going to fly in back home to Cleveland late Friday night, Cleveland Hopkins Airport. And it looked like it was blizzarding, but my mom said, no, the airport's still open, so he's getting in tonight. The drive from Cleveland Hopkins Airport to our house was about 20 minutes. So I'd always check when did my dad arrive, and then you can go about 20, 20 to 30 minutes past that point. He'll come home. On this particular night, it was coming down. Like, it was, it was blizzarding. And his plane arrived, and so I'm just waiting for him. A half hour goes by, no sign of my dad. 45 minutes goes by, no sign of my dad, and I'm pacing, and my mom's in the She's usually in the kitchen reading a book saying, Chris, will you quit? You're bugging me. Go sit somewhere. You're driving me crazy. My mom was calm, calm as a cucumber, and I'm just nervous. 
Nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. Anyhow, I'm nervous. It's about an hour. He's not home. It's an hour and a half. He's not home. My dad's not home. Looking out the window. Snow's coming down. I see at the end of our drive, and then at the end of our street, we're on the top of a hill in the cul-de-sac. I saw two faint little headlights, and they're getting stronger and stronger. And you can see those headlights with, you know, the snows in front of it. And then it pulls up, comes up our driveway, and it's bright, and it parks. And my dad opens the door, and I, he could see me looking out the window. You know, he gives one of those smiles like that, like he made it. My, da- I, my dad's face! He's home! I was so happy. I can't even tell you. I've been waiting 54 years to see the face of Jesus. 54 years. I can't wait to see him. He's going to be everything he said he is. I believe with my whole heart. And I believe I'm going to see him is because he gave me a promise because I've been living for him. I've been I'm trying to be pure, but I've been living as his, with him as my king. And when I see my king, it's going to be the greatest day I can ever imagine. I've often said this. One thing I hope for, I imagine seeing Jesus like a big stadium, and he's, we all get to see him sit on the throne. He's going to be crowned, and everybody's singing. Angels are flying above the stadium, kind of like the, you know, the Air Force going by. Angels kind of fly by. And Jesus is going to be crowned, and he... On, and I've been praying that he would just do this for me. Just, Chris, I know you're there. He might do that for me. That will make my day. I hope you're pure, because you get to 